This episode of the Dope Yogi podcast is sponsored by the Dope Yogi Virtual Yoga Studio. If you guys don't know about it, we have a website with a virtual yoga studio. We have over 60 on-demand classes in our yoga library, and you have an opportunity to practice four live Zoom classes with me, Nicole, every week. And we really want to try to make yoga accessible for anybody that needs it. So this is a paid monthly membership. But if you are somebody that needs yoga and can't really afford the full membership, please reach out to us, let us know, and we will get you set up. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy this episode. the Dope Yogi podcast. Today we are here with our dear friend Anne-Marie Garcia and she is our first guest on the podcast so we're really excited to have you Anne-Marie. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And this is our first um, Zoom recorded podcast so let's see how it goes. I'm so excited. Jerome, are you excited? I am really excited. I, I I like I like a Zoom podcast, I think. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> well, if if I didn't have the COVID threat, I would be there with you. <laughs> we just gotta keep each other safe. That's, That's all, right. all we can do. So today's episode, you guys, is we're kind of taking a little turn towards uh, more um, I don't want to call it serious, but it kind of is. It's a serious topic. Um, and it's something that we have really wanted to kind of just bring to the surface. So today's topic is trauma. And in terms of trauma-informed yoga, um, Anne-Marie here is a trauma-sensitive yoga teacher. So we're going to have her just kind of like go through what really is trauma and then how in the world of yoga we can start to be a little bit more cognizant and sensitive when we are practicing yoga, when we were teaching yoga, when we were in a space that um, is a very vulnerable space for a lot of people and how we as yogis can be a little bit more sensitive to these things. Jerome? Yeah, I'm so excited to learn about this because, I mean, we've talked about this before between the three of us uh, the last time you came over and it really opened my eyes to the idea of, you know, you're just in class and somebody, and you're, you have some trauma and how it can be exasperated by a teacher touching you or yelling at you or just being insensitive to the possibility. So uh, I'm really interested in learning about this. Cool. Well, I think we'll try, probably just get right into it. Um, so I kind of, I want to just kind of turn it over to you, Anne-Marie, like I'm going to ask you some questions and then you just get into the depths of this as much as you want to. 
um, and then we can kind of just open up the conversation. But I think to start, it's important that we define really what is trauma. So if you want to just kind of break this topic open and just kind of explain to us if we're trying to define it, really, what are we talking about when we're talking about trauma? Yeah, sure. That's a great place to start. And um, it's also a kind of a difficult place to start too. Trauma does not have one main definition necessarily, but, um, but a good definition that I like to go by. Um, trauma is really anything that overwhelms our capacity to cope and respond. Um, it can feel, it can leave us feeling helpless and hopeless and completely out of control. Um, that's kind of the very broad definition of what trauma is. Um, there are many types of trauma. Um, I think maybe the ones that we're most familiar with are uh, war, combat, veterans that come back, um, violent crime, domestic violence, abuse, and this includes adult and childhood, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, chronic neglect as a child, that's a huge one. Um, major surgeries and illnesses, going through a major illness, that is a trauma. Natural disasters, we experienced one here a few months ago, a tornado that um, I think we've all witnessed the trauma that happens after that. Um, death, loss of a loved one, loss of a career, um, and then not to mention collective traumas too. So again, we are all going through a collective trauma in the form of the pandemic right now, and then also systemic oppression. That's a huge collective trauma. Um, and then also ancestral trauma is something that we don't often talk about. Um, but there is research now, the, the science is there that shows that we carry trauma, we carry our ancestors' trauma, our parents' trauma in our DNA. Um, so that is something that is also very much alive in our bodies. And so these are all different, different types of trauma. Um, but luckily, our physiology is equipped with a really sophisticated system um, to deal with these traumatic experiences. Um, there's a region of our brain to get into kind of the physiology of it. Um, I'll, I'll go through this quickly. No, no, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm so interested in this kind of stuff. Yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah, so, so there's a region in our brain. Um, our brains have different regions that, do diff that perform different functions. And so um, the limbic system is the region in our brain that regulates emotion and memory and the secretion of hormones. Um, and it's basically hardwired to constantly be scanning the environment for danger. Um, so that's part of our, what some people refer to as the reptilian brain. Mm -hmm. um, so we're constantly, um, you know, moving through the world saying, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? That's the way this system works. It's kind of our internal alarm system. Um, so it's essential for our survival and it is actually a beautiful mechanism. Um, the reason that we have fear, uh, fear keeps us safe. Fear is a good emotion to have. Um, but it, but it, when, when it goes, when it, you know, goes awry, that's when the havoc wreaks. But, um, but to go back to its function. So if a threat is perceived, um, like a switch, the system goes off. And so it activates our, um, sympathetic nervous system, which as yogis, we're very familiar with the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, um, which is part of the auton autonomic nervous system. Um, so that's our fight, flight, or freeze response. Um, this releases hormones in our bodies, like cortisol and adrenaline, mm -hmm. um, and it prepares us to deal with whatever threat is in front of us, whatever danger it is. Um, so when the threat or the danger is over, our body should be able to flip the switch back. It should be able to um, 
go right into the parasympathetic nervous stimulus. Um, and that's our rest and digest, or some people call it um, tend and befriend. That's the oh, I've never a heard phrase. That. <laughs> um, so that releases hormones like oxytocin and serotonin, and that basically is the signal to our body that we're safe again. Good and one. Those are the ones exactly, <laughs> it's the good one. And so it like tells us that we can kind of, you know, return to our regular schedule of programming. <laughs> and, uh, and so we get to go back to normal. So this should be basically a closed loop system, right? So it's like, it's, um, if you think of an impala in the wild, and it's being chased by a cheetah, it's sympathetic nervous system goes on, uh, the cheetah doesn't get it, it's safe back with its family or in a safe spot. And then immediately it's parasympathetic switches on, and then everything goes back to normal that we can, we can look at it as a closed loop system. Mm-hmm. Um, but the disorder happens when our body, um, when something disrupts that. And um, so for whatever reason, something disrupts it and our bodies can't complete the cycle. Um, so our brain gets stuck in that on mode. And then we start to perceive threats when they're not there. Um, we know this as PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, it also can be called, it's different than PTSD, but there's something called complex trauma disorder as well. And that has to do more with um, interrelational trauma, which is that childhood um, prolonged um, abuse, physical, sexual neglect. Um, that complex trauma comes out of that, but that's, a, that's another a different topic, but similar symptoms. Um, so a range, a, a range of these symptoms, there, there is a range of these symptoms. Um, they can be absolutely brutal and um, people suffer through PTSD symptoms all their lives, sometimes not knowing that they are experiencing PTSD. Um, these symptoms can wreak havoc, not only on the, the mind and the spirit, but on the body as well. And so that's kind of the newer research that's coming out is what happens to the body. Um, things like insomnia, anxiety, depression, chronic fatigue syndrome, dissociation, withdrawal, addiction, um, cognitive impairment, memory loss, relational issues. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just a sampling of some of the, some of the symptoms of PTSD, not to mention the long-term health effects. Um, things like obesity, diabetes, heart disease, chronic fatigue syndrome. I think I said that one, I said that one already. Unexplained pain, heart disease, even cancer. Um, so um, in my opinion, I think these symptoms and PTSD um, they're showing up to remind us that, and, and sometimes very intensely, um, that we have to complete that cycle. Even if the trauma happened 25 years ago, our body is still reminding us we need to complete that cycle. Like, hey, guess what? That's still stuck in my body. <laughs> you know, like let's let's uh, let's let's show up and do this. And so um, the body and the spirit are are very intelligent, and they're working together to give us um, to give us these signs, and and so that we give attention to what's going on. Um, I believe that that nothing, nothing in our lives, nothing in our bodies, nothing in our spirits show up um, for the purpose of being avoided. Um, mm-hmm. So our spirit is always asking us um, for help to move these things through and also to learn from it too. So mm-hmm. that's Can... a very long-winded. Uh... Was, I'm sorry, I didn't <laughs> want to interrupt you, but I was just like, that was everything you just said. I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Can we... Where does the trauma stay in the body? Is it different for different people? Is it in the DNA? 
Yeah, that's that's a good question, and that um, and that is, I'm not I'm not a doctor, I'm not a neuroscientist, <laughs> I'm not a therapist. So um, so I'm you know I'm a yoga teacher, and I can't speak fully to the um, to the physiological science of it, but it does show up in different ways in different people. Um, when you ask someone where they're feeling something um, in in therapy, for instance, um, more a, somatic-based therapists who use uh, somatic-based therapies and talk therapies in conjunction with each other to treat PTSD, they'll ask, you know, where, if, if you're feeling anxiety, for instance, where are you feeling this anxiety? People can, it, it, it really ranges. It could be in their chest. It could be in their stomach. It could be in the back of their neck. I mean, it physically, actually physically shows up in different parts of the body. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, because it's everything, all the, the things that you're describing, that's the manifestation of the trauma. And exactly. we are individual beings. And so we're all experiencing, exactly. we're all having this individual experience. Right. And so, and, and the trauma experiences are being processed through that limbic system in the brain as well, the amygdala and the um, hippocampus and the hypothalamus, um, all of those parts, that's where it's being um, processed and stored. Um, so that's where that's our, our memory storage is in that part of the brain. It's not it's not being stored in the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive function of our brain. Um, so that's that's the part of the brain that um, that's that's that is active in in that process. So interesting. Um, well, I'm, I was going to ask you how does tra trauma show up in the body. So I think that we pretty much just covered all of that because it is. I mean, it is. It's true. I think that. I think as, as yogis or as people who we, I think a lot of our language around describing um, our feeling is like through sensation. Absolutely. You're very much like body oriented people. Like right. I feel it like this. Yes. And, and that's why this is such a perfect yeah. uh, compliment to, to PTSD therapy. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's for a lot of, People, I know that I've I've experienced some students who um, I've worked with privately. That if I ask them to please, like, if I say, "How does this feel?" I have had students that are like, "What do you mean?" You know, where right. there's that complete dissociation with um, being able to verbalize sensations or feelings in the body. It's like a very foreign concept to think or to be able to express how, how you're feeling. I don't think Absolutely. that's naturally to everybody, you know, but we, I think we forget that because we are so in tune. So, um, really mindful about the movement that we take and we listen and we, we listen and then we respond, we listen and respond with yoga. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And that's why this is such a great practice, um, for people who have, um, have issues with, with, feeling things in their body. That's, that, um, that's called interoception. And that's something I'll talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people literally cannot feel something in their body. They have severed that connection for whatever reason. Maybe it's an accident that they got into and they're afraid to, to feel a part of their body that got injured, or maybe they were sexually abused or it, I mean, it, it really ranges, but, um, but the, the brain cannot make the connection between mm -hmm. the sensation so, um, so that's why this is extremely helpful um, because that's, that's a critical piece of, of the healing is being able to feel what's happening inside your body. Yes. Recognizing that. 
exactly yeah i had um avoided a lot of trauma in my life for geez until i was probably 23 or 24 and starting yoga really helped bring some of it to the surface because when you're trying to avoid it you keep it in the back of your mind but yoga is such a present practice that things come up and you just have to deal with them exactly oh wow okay cool right and you can deal with them in, in a calm way because you know what are we doing in yoga we're breathing breathing is is our greatest tool and our biggest ally yeah breathing uh, is everything exactly and it and it um it breathing sends a signal to our body that we're okay and that we're safe and that activates the parasympathetic nervous system um yeah so i just love this this is so good <laughs> this is so good okay well i think that um you know that's a good really a that's a lot of information to take in and to digest. Um, and if this is, if you're somebody that's listening to this podcast and this is the first time you've ever heard of trauma or um, maybe the first time you've ever wondered if you've experienced trauma, I think that it's important to know that um, it doesn't, I don't, I, I know that at the beginning we said, how do we define it? But based on your definition, it is it can show up in so many different ways. And I think that's something really important to keep in mind. Um, and then kind of segueing that into how this shows up in our yoga spaces and how we um, we really do as yoga teachers have the responsibility to hold a safe space for every single person that we are leading. Um, I think a lot of times that does not happen. And so I think, you know, main, mainly I wanna, I wanna really get into like, okay, what is, what is a trauma-informed yoga practice? So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I'll talk about it in two different ways, actually. So I'll talk about trauma-sensitive yoga, um, which is a dedicated um, modality. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's um, it's uh, um, an ad- basically an adjunct therapy. So it's something to be used in conjunction with more traditional therapies like talk therapy or EMDR or something like that. Um, that's, uh, that's, trauma-sensitive yoga, um, a class necessarily, not, not necessarily um, just trauma-informed. This is a class focused on trauma-sensitive mm-hmm. uh, clients. Um, then there's maybe a trauma, we can call it a trauma-informed um, yoga class or being more trauma-informed in a regular, quote-unquote regular yoga class. Um, or we, you know, you can call it interceptive yoga or whatever. So, so I'll talk about those two, the kind of the differences between um, those two things. So, um, so like I was saying, historically in the in the um, psychology world, um, the treatment of PTSD and trauma has been basically cerebral and mind based. Um, it's it's been that type of approach um, to dealing with traumatic experiences. So. So essentially talk therapy, right? So let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about what happened. But like I was saying before, that part of the brain isn't necessarily involved in a traumatic experience. And so we're using a part of our brain that, um, that isn't necessarily going to fix the whole, the whole problem. And so the body's been left out of the therapy. And so we're trying to bring, um, bring that back to the process for like a total healing process. Um, through intensive research from um, neuroscientists like Bessel van der Kolk. I don't know if you've heard of, um, mm-hmm. of him. 
He is the author of The Body Keeps the Score, which is an amazing book. And I recommend that. Um, that talks about um, different body-based therapies to address PTSD. Um, Peter Levine, he also wrote a book called um, Waking the Tiger. That's about his somatic experiencing method. Um, and then Judith Herman, um, she wrote a book, I believe it's called Trauma and Recovery. So um, through their research, now there are all these studies that show that trauma gets stuck in the body now, and we need a body-based approach to move it through. Um, so that's what trauma-sensitive therapy is, and it's based on three uh, pillars or tenets. The first one is um, invitational language. So this is a class solely for, um, for um, people with PTSD or traumatic experiences. They don't have to be diagnosed with that, but if you, if you feel, if you know you've been through a traumatic experience and you're questioning, um, you would be welcome in a trauma-sensitive class, of course. Um, so invitational language is a tool to empower students, basically, um, to make their own decisions. So in a lot of our regular yoga classes, um, there's a command-based approach to it, right? We, we, as yoga teachers in our trainings, we're told um, not, to, not to ask the student to do it, but just to tell them to move into a pose. And so we wanna get away from telling somebody how to move their body. Um, so instead of telling them how to move their body, we're inviting them to make a mindful choice themselves about how to move their body. It's, it's a way to move back into empowerment. Um, and I so some, that. I'm sorry. I said, I love that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just, I think that's so, that is, I don't mean it's to interrupt simple. you, but it is so simple, but it's there a are, simple con concept. I'm not going to say the style of yoga or the name of the yoga, but there are styles of yoga that use what is called when they're, when they're training teachers, how to teach yoga, they use what is called essential language, which is like, mm -hmm. don't later on the bush like just tell them what they're going to do and it's right. just so demanding right I mean, and 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 there's a and there's a place for that right it's not necessarily wrong there's a there's a place for that type of thing it's just not in in trauma sensitive um and so right so instead of telling somebody what to do you pose the question or you say something like it might feel good to or you might like to if it feels okay when you're ready um you could choose to do a or b I think that's really cool that because it gives you the agency to do it. Exactly. Which, and that's a great word. Yeah. Which does empower you. And then I feel like sometimes in certain classes, I'm just like on autopilot because it's like, mm -hmm. do this, do that, do that. And I feel like I'm not even a part of the class. I'm just like right. zooming through. And I just love the idea of adding agency to my practice. Yeah, and I love that you just said that you don't feel like you're a part of the class. This literally invites you um, to understand that this is your experience. So um, yeah. I love I love that. That's that's the first tenet. The second one, it's another empowerment tool, is choice, which and again is a really simple concept. But um, but as the as a trauma sensitive teacher, we're there as a guide. Um, we're there to give several options so students can start exploring what it feels like to make safe decisions about how to move their own bodies. Um, many people who've experienced trauma were not allowed to make those decisions for themselves. And um, somebody else made those decisions or some experience um, and it completely drained them of that. And so this is a way, this is a way to bring them back to that. Um, so an example of that is, you know, feel free, to, feel free to sit in a comfortable position or lay down on your mat if that feels better. Um, so just giving, you know, giving a choice that, that it's, it's super simple instead of 
instead of fold forward and reach for your toes, fold forward any amount, any amount that feels okay to you, something like that. And, and many teachers do do that. And I don't want to discount that in, in other classes. A lot of teachers do do that. Um, and then the third tenant is what I was talking about earlier, that term interoception. Um, so interoception is just our ability to recognize felt sense in our body, um, to, to experience and understand what's happening internally. Um, so for instance, like the feeling of hunger, that's an interoceptive feeling. We can, we can understand what that feels like when we're hungry and we can eat. Um, yeah. Some people don't have that. Some people don't, don't know. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like a byproduct and a, a side effect of when you're healing from um, disordered eating or eating disorders, which is another form of trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you literally forget how to listen to your body and you don't, your body will communicate those hunger cues to you. And, and then you, but you can't, um, you, the brain it. cannot yeah. make the connection. It's yeah. It's fascinating. It really, really is. Um, yeah. So we're just asking people to start noticing and, ex and exploring that their internal experience. So, um, some people have a lot of trouble with this because of disassociation. Um, and like you said, eating disorders, things like that. It's a great point. Um, so an example, we'll use that forward folding example. So while you're folding forward, maybe you can notice a sensation. Maybe you feel it in your back. Maybe you feel it in your hamstring. Maybe you feel a pulling in your hamstring. Maybe you don't feel anything at all. And that's okay too. Um, and it's important to reiterate that too, that not feeling anything is okay too. Um, yeah. So, um, so, and then the last thing, those are the three pillars. And then there's one that's kind of a, a no brainer for trauma sensitive yoga. And that's, um, that's no hands-on assists, no assists really. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's pretty self-explanatory. You don't, you just don't know what somebody has been through and you don't want to touch anyone. Um, there really is no reason to, um, in a trauma sensitive class. So um, so I that's yeah. agree with you on that. So that's kind of the last thing. And then um, so that's trauma sensitive yoga. That's if you're having a dedicated class for trauma sensitive. Um, and then the other question you asked is how we can start um, in incorporating trauma informed practices into our own classes as yoga teachers and yeah, in a public setting. Exactly. If it's a class that anybody is coming to, it's just a regular old public drop in class and it's say, let's just use the example. It's just an all levels vinyasa, very, yeah. very broad. How can we as yoga teachers create an environment where this person who's coming to your class maybe has not expressed to you that they are healing from a trauma? Um, maybe they don't even feel comfortable saying to pull you aside as a teacher and say, hey, just so you know, like, I don't want any hands on assists because A, B, and C, or I am dealing with sexual trauma or whatever they're processing right. how can we create an environment that feels safe for everybody yeah. in a regular class setting yeah and it's and it's a great question and it's really important because we, as yoga teachers we don't get to have that screening process right when when a new student comes in we don't say have you ever done yoga before and you know what are your past traumatic experiences we don't get to say that <laughs> and oftentimes we don't even know about their physical ailments right so um, so it's really a guessing game every time we step into that room anyway. Um, but 60 to 70% of Americans say that they've experienced a traumatic experience in their lifetime. And then at any given time in the U.S., 13 million Americans are living with PTSD. So chances are that there's going to be at least one person in your class 
either with PTSD or who's experienced trauma. Um, so, so it's really a great um, thing to just have in the back of your mind to, um, you know, to, to incorporate some of these practices into your everyday class. And the good thing is, as a, as a teacher too, you have your own agency. You can make your own choices about what you want to add to the class and what you don't. It's okay. Um, you know, if it's not labeled a trauma sensitive class, you can teach however you want to teach. But I think it's a best practice to, um, to understand that we are a diverse population and we have many, many different types of people in every single class and every single class is different, right? And so, um, yeah, so, so how, how can we do that? The first thing is, is to educate yourself on triggers. Be mindful of these things. Um, you never know what somebody's going through. So the more education um, that you can have, the better. Uh, as I think as yoga teachers, and um, we often say, that we're always learning, right? We're always the student. Um, this is a good opportunity to be a student and to le just learn a little bit more. Um, learn about best practices and enter your class letting your students have their own experience. Like, you know, maybe that's your mantra for the day. I'm gonna let my students have their own experience. Um, that's a good way to go into it. Some of, some of the environmental things that we can do in a yoga studio and just be mindful of is music choice, loud music, um, that's, you know, might want to think about whether you want, if you're somebody who likes loud music that, you know, maybe that doesn't feel good to somebody going in. Maybe they were in some sort of experience where really loud music was playing. So, um, so that they couldn't be heard. Um, you know, you, you just, you never know the experience. Um, so that's something. Uh, I know that there are a lot of studios out there who purposely play loud music and that's 100% fine and that's fun, that's a fun environment. Um, and those, those studios are, are for the most part advertised really well. They advertise that that's the way um, that they conduct the, the yoga class. So I don't wanna make anybody feel like they're doing something wrong by, by doing that. So that's important to, important to say. Um, strong smells. I think we, we know that anyway, um, yeah. that can be troublesome for a lot of different reasons. Um, another one is um, that we don't often think of is making a clear pathway to the exit um, and making sure that there is, yeah, so making sure, making sure that the exit, maybe there's two doors, maybe, you know, making sure that there is, there's just a clear way to get out. When somebody experiences, maybe somebody starts to experience a flashback or something like that, and they, and they feel flooded. That's um, a, a term where they start to experience their, their symptoms very, very strongly. Um, and, they, and they feel trapped and they want to get out of the room, but they can't. That's going to be a terrifying experience. So just making sure um, a lot of times we, you know, we pack people into those rooms and it's hard to get out and it's embarrassing to get out. I know that um, there was one time when I was in a yoga class and I was really sick and I all of a sudden just was overcome with feeling sick. And I was like way in the corner of the room and I was assessing how I was going to get out. And I stepped over, I knocked over metal water bottles. I mean, it was just the worst experience. I got out. Exit. You're like, how do I get out? Exactly. So always making sure that there is a clear exit and that if there's any new students in your class, reiterating that, you know, there, you know, there's an easy way, there's the door, you know, what, whatever you want to say. Um, but that, that's something really important that we don't often think about. Um, 
lights. That's another thing, lights on or lights off. Um, at the end of a yoga practice, sometimes what do we do in, in Shavasana? We turn the lights off and we tell people to close their eyes. And that might be extremely disturbing. Some people might not want the lights off. Um, so that's just, again, something to think about. And these are things that you can choose to, um, to incorporate or not. Um, so those are environmental. And then we talked a lot about language. Are you using command-based approaches? Um, we often say, you know your body best, right? We say that a lot in class. And we say it, but then we give a confusing signal. We say, you know your body best, and then we go and we give them an assist. Or, um, or um, you know, we say, you know your body best, but, but move into this position. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's kind of a confusing thing. So again- To your body, but do what I'm saying. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So just be mindful of, of that, of the message that you're sending. Um, I think a lot of um, newer teachers, and I know that I did this, I just used the dialogue. And I just, I really didn't know what I was saying in the beginning. I just used the dialogue because I was so nervous. It wasn't, I wasn't purposely trying to hurt anyone or, you know, you just, you just use the dialogue that you were taught. Yeah. Um, so being mindful of that and, and learning about that. Um, uh, we talked about closing your eyes. Don't ask people to close their eyes. Um, or I shouldn't say don't ask people to close their eyes. Um, give them the choice. Yes. You can, you can close your eyes, of course, if you want to. Um, but also make sure that you're saying it's okay if you keep your eyes open too, or um, pose it in such a way where somebody won't feel like they're doing something wrong if, they're, if they don't do what you're saying. That's um, such a big one. I have, I always start because, you know, we do, we want, we, we are used to saying, okay, close your eyes and come to a comfortable seat, close your eyes to get yeah. settled in. But I like, like you just said, it's, it can be a very triggering thing to have your eyes closed. And honestly, it wasn't until a couple of years ago where I really thought about that and how some people might feel with their eyes closed. So now every time, I mean, just my go-to is like, if it feels safe for you, I mean, that's, just that's a great way. Everything. If it feels yeah. safe for you, close your eyes. Yeah. If it's not take a soft gaze. Yeah. And I do. And I want to say too, I've been in several of your classes, Nicole, and you do a really great job of offering choice um, mm -hmm. of, you know, you, you do say many times I've heard in your class, you give people the choice of how to move their body in, in many of your classes. So I want to, I want to point that out too. Um, and so um, another one is that's kind of like the exit that we don't often think about is that we refer to different versions of a pose as modifications. Um, mm -hmm. We'll say things like the modification or the fullest expression of the pose. And so um, just thinking about, thinking about that when somebody can't do the fullest expression of the pose or they're, um, or they're considering what they're doing a modification, that can make you feel less than it, it can make you feel like again you're doing you're not doing it the right way necessarily it's a modified version this is the right way but this is the modified version or so you're that's doing just, a lesser version of exactly the right way to do it exactly every, so that's again just something to think about every time in class when there's something like that that I can't do or I don't feel comfortable doing and it's posed in that way I, I do feel bad I'm like damn yeah you're like, oh, why can't I be can't more flexible? Or like, yeah, for me, you know. I'll tell you, it's um, I've struggled with this for the entire my entire yoga career is dancer position. Um, you know, they that term is often used, the fullest expression of dancer. Oh, yeah. 
And that is something my body just doesn't do. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. I don't like it. I don't like the sensation that I get. And, and I start to feel bad that I'm never going to be able to get into the fullest expression of the pose. So um, again, there's nothing wrong with that, um, but it's, it can be triggering to some people. Um, and then again, the, the assist thing, some people just can't say no. Um, yeah. Even if, even if you offer, um, you know, a, a lot of times we, uh, if we're in child's pose, um, we'll say, raise your hand. Um, so nobody's looking, you can't see, but even still in a situation like that, some people are afraid to say no because they don't want to go against the grain. Yeah. Um, or what if, um, at the beginning of class, you thought you wanted assists and then halfway through the class, what happens when all of a sudden the teacher is approaching you and you're having triggers and you don't want to be touched all of a sudden, but you didn't raise your hand. And so what do you do? You know? Exactly. Exactly. Or maybe you had an assist and it didn't feel good and now you don't want it again, but you've already, you know, the teacher has already touched you. You feel embarrassed to stop and say, Oh, don't touch me. Or, you know, it's, it's a, it's an awkward interaction. So, For sure. um, For so just <laughs> exactly, exactly. So to, in order to avoid that, you might just decide to not offer assists at all. I think that's a great idea. I've been in class where somebody was new with assisting and I'm the type of person that I have a really hard time hurting somebody's feel, or I feel like I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. You know what yeah. I mean? Even if it was probably to their benefit. And I was in this class and um, a person came and assisted me and it wasn't a good assist mm -hmm. and it like hurt hurt my body and I wanted yeah. to say something like you know like hey you shouldn't do this which, which would have been beneficial to the person but I also didn't want to hurt their feelings right. so I just didn't say anything at all yeah. and then I was thinking like oh my gosh this person's going around doing this to everybody in the class and this is terrible yeah so and like, you know somebody else in the class might be experiencing it very different than you are maybe they don't mind it at all but yeah, we just don't know yeah we just don't know so we we cannot we cannot put ourselves in, in somebody else's experience. Um, the last thing I, I want to say about this is um, the last thing is know your limits as a yoga as a yoga teacher. That's a huge one. Just know your limits. Most of us understand that we're not doctors and we're not therapists. Um, you're there to be a guide. Um, you're you're there to be a guide, helping people find their breath and their movement. Um, if somebody's ex if somebody is struggling. It is not your responsibility to fix it. We can go into that mode because many of us are empaths as yoga teachers. We're empaths. We want to fix it. There's nothing wrong with wanting to fix it, but we're not equipped to. Um, so, so know that limit. Um, no matter how much you want to, you won't be able to fix it that day. This person has been dealing with, most likely has been dealing with these symptoms for, for quite a long time. Hopefully they're working with somebody. Um, but always suggest um, if somebody's really struggling, you know, maybe take them aside um, after class. And um, if it, it, it not, not pointing, you know, not seeking them out or pointing them out, but if they say something, um, you know, if they're, if they're asking you for professional or medical advice, always suggest that they seek professional help. Um, you, you know, that is not your responsibility. So that's, that's the last one. Um, and really important. That's so you just, don't, I mean, yeah, you don't want to get yourself or somebody yeah. else in trouble. We're not therapists. I mean, unless you are a therapist and you are also a yoga right. teacher. Right? <laughs> exactly. That's different. Yeah. As yoga teachers, I think, I think it, you know, it goes 
there's a responsibility on both sides, but a lot of times students don't necessarily make that connection. So I think we'll experience as teachers, we'll have students come into our classes and first thing off the bat, they wanna tell you about every single injury that they have experienced, are experiencing their sleep patterns, what they ate for lunch. And then also they wanna tell you about like their emotional, just like in your your response, they also want advice in your responsibility as a teacher is to say, I am not a doctor. I cannot answer these questions for you. You are a yoga teacher, you know, and that's, and And there's, and there's extreme value in that. There's extreme value in being a yoga teacher. It's just a different value. Yes, absolutely. But I think that it needs to be that on the yoga teacher, it is our responsibility to draw that line and to create that boundary because students can come into your class not knowing that you might have just gotten your 200 hours teacher certification last week and they're asking you how to heal a 10 year old knee injury and you're like what I don't exactly I don't know you know I think that's part of what makes a good yoga teacher is like you know I've seen you tell people that multiple times is like I'm not a doctor I don't know you should seek help, but I've also been around studios a lot where I've seen teachers be like, oh yeah, I can help you book a private or something like that. And you're well, like, mm, also, yes. I don't know about that. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Jeremy. But also we as yoga teachers, you know, we can give suggestions, hundred percent. We can give suggestions. We can, if somebody is asking for a specific direction in a specific posture, we can give direction. We can even give variations because I don't like we talked about modification isn't like mm-hmm. the best word. So right. I like to use if I'm talking about a way to change the posture to make it a little bit more accessible for your specific body or for all bodies. I like the word variation. To me, mm-hmm. that sounds more yeah. um, supportive. That's a great alternative. But to say to them, if you're ask if you're asking me that or if you're telling me that you're hip feels weird when you're in this specific posture. I can't, first of all, I can't tell you anything about your hip in that posture unless I'm seeing you in that posture and looking at your body. So I can't, you know, students want advice. They'll come to the desk and say, hey, like my knee feels weird when I do pigeon like this. And your responsibility as a teacher, I think in that moment is to say, well, I would need to see you doing the posture first. And then maybe from there, we could troubleshoot some things and I am not a medical professional. Right, exactly, exactly. And there are so many teachers out there who have done years and years and years of study in anatomy and physiology and really do know the body. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, you know your own limits. So, you know, you know where to create that boundary. So, yeah, yeah. So, so those are kind of, those are just some, some tips that you can choose to incorporate or not. And, you know, just always, always being mindful of who's walking through the door. How did you come to do this? Like, how did you, I mean, get into this training? What inspired you? Yeah. Um, yeah, so about that. Um, like, I think so many people in the, this type of, you know, that are, that's interested in this type of work, we usually come to it from our own experiences. So um, I'll give you kind of a, a quick, quick-ish background. <laughs> um, 
you know, yoga has been a part of my life since my early 20s. Of course, I in my early 20s, I started just as a as an exercise a way to, you know, get exercise like so many of us do. And I was kind of on and off about it. I was a rock climber when I was really young. And uh, the stu- the rock climbing gym that I went to had a studio and had yoga for rock climbers. So I do it every once in a while. Um, and then I moved to San Francisco and I was diagnosed with cancer. And I had a very, uh, when I was 30, and I had a very cool, um, integrative oncologist. And I was very scared of some of the treatments. And he said, um, he said, okay, you know, if, if there's some treatments that you want to forego um, and some treatments that you have to do, but let's, but let's create a plan for you to make, the, to make these easier. And so part of that plan was, he said to me, you have to be vegan right now. You have to start meditating and you have to start doing yoga. And so that's really when I started to, um, to do yoga on a fairly regular basis. I, I did yoga and other body-based um, practices like Pilates and, um, and gyrotonics. I don't know if you know what gyrotonics no, is. No, what's that? It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of like, like Pilates in the sense where you use this machine basically to move your body, but it gets into um, mobilizing your joints. Um, so it's kind Is of that a the dance thing you get on and it vibrates really fast. No, no, but a lot of people ask that. A lot that's of that's from like the fifties. <laughs> it's a it's a cool it's a cool practice. It's it's definitely does not have the popularity um, that Pilates does, but very similar um, in the sense of of strength building and um, but it, it utilizes the mobilization of your joints. So anyway, so I was doing things like that, and then it wasn't really until I moved to Nashville about six years ago when, um, when I started practicing yoga, uh, regularly, like daily. Um, and then I got really, really interested in it and I did a yoga training and in that yoga training, um, during that yoga training, uh, one of the other trainees recommended I read the body keeps the score because we were having as, as many yoga trainings go, you have very intense conversations very quickly. And we were talking about trauma and, um, and she said, Oh, you've got to read the body keeps the score. So I read that book and um, it, that book talks about different modalities um, uh, as far as body-based therapies and yoga was one of them. It was yoga, neurofeedback. I think EMDR was one of them. And to me, yoga seemed like the most accessible one. And, um, and so I started getting really interested in yoga as, um, as a healing modality, as a kind of direct healing modality. And, um, and so I ended up doing a training, um, actually a yoga for cancer training. And then, um, and then from there, I uh, was doing more research on Bessel van der Kolk, um, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score. And he, had, uh, he, he was the founder of um, a, a, a treatment center up in, um, in Massachusetts called the Trauma Center. And out of the Trauma Center, they were doing research on how yoga affects um, the healing of trauma. And so from there, um, it is now called the, the Center for Trauma and Embodiment at JRI. And they offer um, a trauma-sensitive yoga training, and I and I took one of their trainings. Um, I did a week-long training with them, and that's really, um, you know, I just I just loved it. Uh, the the um, the facilitators were David Emerson and Jen Turner. David Emerson has written a couple of books on yoga for trauma, which I I recommend. Um, and um, yeah, and it just kind of changed my life because it helped me personally so much, and so. Um, you know, when things resonate with you, I think the the natural the natural thing is to 
want to offer that to other people. So. Wow, I think it's, we, we were talking about it earlier on our walk, Nicole and I, and I just think it's important to somehow integrate it into teacher trainings. Like, you know, yes. it should be integrated in all of them because it's, it, it is important on the trauma level, but it's, you know, it just sounds like it makes you a better teacher in general. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with that. I, I absolutely think it should be incorporated into more yoga trainings. We incorporate a lot of different things. We pack a lot of different things into that 200 hours. And I think this one could be very beneficial. Yeah, I think it could be very important. I mean, it is very important. Yeah. I don't know why it's not. You know, I don't know why it's not part of the Yoga Alliance. I mean, not the yoga. I won't go down that path. I don't know why it's not a requirement for a 200-hour YTT school to also incorporate um, these, just just even even to just brush over the surface. I mean, talk give give it a day. You know what yeah. I mean? Out of the 200 hours, we could spend a lot of hours talking yeah. about this. But just to even, because I don't even think in my 200-hour training, which was a million years ago, but I don't even think that we talked about it you know, at that time, and I, I do think that the yoga world has shifted a lot since then. That was like almost more than 10 years ago. Um, but it was very focused on manual adjustments, on touching other people and how we can like manipulate bodies using our hands and like help students get into a deeper version of this posture. And it was never... to me as like and right. this is an option I mean I don't I don't even I don't use manual adjustments in my classes I haven't in years I mean I will if you're somebody that I know I will just Jeremy I'll probably just you in class you know I will just and but not in like a way to like move you into a deeper posture it would just be to like maybe just like a grounding assist right like mm -hmm. that. I always think like ground the thing that is being that is already grounding um instead of like pushing you into a deeper mm -hmm. variation kind of thing um, but I, I just, I just think there's so many factors that we don't know as yoga teachers to approach somebody and put your hands on them without ever even having them in your class before, to me, just seems a completely unreasonable. I don't yeah. know. It's just me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, maybe part of the reason why it's not part of trainings yet is that this information is pretty new, um, you know, yeah. relatively new. And so, um, so just the gathering of, of information, it's, it's pretty much just, you know, in the, in the world of, of psychology, it's probably, I think, you know, the research probably really started coming out in the mid 2000s, early mid 2000s. So it is still kind of a new field. Um, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of it is also um, a lot of these yoga teacher trainings are just cookie cutter uh somebody's written a couple books and to go back and adjust all of that would just be so expensive and go kind of almost be like okay well you haven't been doing it right anyway so like now fix it which yeah. is a big ego hit on some of these people right i think the ego thing is important too to keep in mind if you're a yoga teacher that wants to 
start thinking about incorporating more trauma-informed tools into your regular public yoga classes, it's like we have to remember it's not about us. Right. It is 100% about your students. And it is your responsibility, truthfully, as a teacher to create an environment that feels safe for all bodies. So that's right. Yeah, like how we do that. Right. And, and the truth of the matter is that we, um, it is, it's probably next to impossible, if not impossible to create a 100% safe environment. Um, but we do the best we can. Exactly. And that's, and that's why, you know, that's why there, these tips exist, um, to do the best we can, because we don't know what triggers people. Everyone, every single person on this planet has had a different experience and who knows, who knows what kind of experience they had. So it's impossible for us to create that 100% safe space, but, um, but we do the best. So, yeah. And, um, and I just had, um, if there's time, um, I had just a couple of, um, just to end on some, some three, three little tips that you can use if you do notice. Um, somebody starting to flood or maybe possibly having some symptoms in your class, there are some things that you can do. And the great thing is, is that it's yoga. And so we pretty much do them anyway. None of this is going to be new information, but just almost as a reminder to kind of interject these things. If you notice that somebody is maybe having a hard time, and these are perfect because we do them anyway in yoga. So there's no um, there's no calling out or pointing out of somebody. We, you know, we can do these things collectively as a class um, without knowing they're necessarily um, a tool to calm the nervous system. Or, but, but we, we know that in general. Um, the, the first one is to orient. Um, orient yourself with the surroundings. So you might ask your students um, literally to move their heads in you know all directions 360 degrees 180 you know all directions you just move your head all around and while you're doing this you're kind of taking stock and you're noticing what you're seeing as you're doing it and this is a really great tool um, to ground Um, it it gets you in the here and now this like pulls you out of whatever um, experience you're having and you have to focus on, okay, I'm seeing the light above me. I'm seeing the painting on my wall. I'm seeing, you're literally telling yourself, you're listing um, what you're seeing. Um, so that is a great way to calm the limbic system um, and come in, come into the present moment doing that. Um, the other thing is grounding, like you were just saying, um, you know, ground what's already grounded. So ask students to connect to the ground in some way. And we can do this. We know we can do this in a variety of poses, right? We can do it standing. We can do it in downward dog. We can do it in basically any pose we do. Yeah, um, lying down even. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, a comfortable seat, feet on the ground, hands on the ground, any way you want to create the relationship with the ground. Um, and then and then maybe you suggest visualizing pulling up the energy from the earth. Um, again, that's just a, um, it's a great reminder that we have support all around us and, um, and it can be extremely stabilizing to, to, to ask students to, to, touch, to touch where they are grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one we talked a lot about is just breath. Um, it's like I said, it's our greatest tool. It's the greatest thing we have. Um, it's the quickest way to downshift the nervous system. And um, it returns us to a sense of safety. It activates that parasympathetic nervous system um, by slowing and soothing and smoothing 
the breath, we do the same thing with our brain waves. We literally, as our breath slows, our brain waves slow. Um, so a good tool for that is um, Samavriti breath, which is um, literally means same wave. Um, and so in Sanskrit, and so you may do six in breaths without a pause and then six exhale or, and then six second exhale or yeah. Yeah, six count in <laughs> without a pause and then six count out. And you do that, you do that ideally at least five minutes, but if it's just, if, 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 if it's just 30 seconds, if it's just whatever, it's, it's sending a signal to the brain that it's okay to calm down. Yes, that balance. Yeah. I had a um, teacher, uh, Winston, shout out Winston. He would start his classes like that. And I always got, those are the most relaxed, even though they were ended up being like hard vinyasa classes, they mm -hmm. were, I always felt so relaxed in those classes that. and safe. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, if we're, if we are uh, in any situation in life, right now, it doesn't have to be a traumatic symptom. It doesn't, any situation, if we're feeling nervous, if we're stressed out, if, you know, anything would just come back to our breath. It is, it is um, an undeniable tool that we have. It's, um, there's a cool, I don't know if you know anything about Wim Hof. Yes. Okay, so he, he was a rock climber, um, free, what is it, free, free bay, free, free climber, whatever. He was a free climber. Mm -hmm. Free climber. No ropes. And, thing, right? he, and he was, ropes. he slipped and was hanging on and he was Ooh. about to fall and die. And his brain or the universe, like, told him to breathe through it yeah. and like do the Wim Hof breath that he did. He discovered that hanging off the side of a mountain about to die and that breath saved his life. It calmed wow. him down That's to where he didn't panic story. and was able to like get up over the edge or whatever. It's, it's amazing to me. I mean, I could talk, we could do a whole other podcast about the breath. For I was me. just thinking the I same know, thing. right? <laughs> I mean, it is, it, to me, it's, it's just the coolest thing. It is it's something involuntary. It literally gives us life. It is something that we cannot live without, yet we have so much control over it, mm -hmm. which is kind of neat. So it's probably, it's the, oh, oh, sorry, go oh, ahead. No, okay. I was going to say, it's the only thing like that mm -hmm. about our body. Like we can't yeah. choose to pump our blood. We can't choose to send exactly. the neurons or control that, but we can control the breath, which literally gives us life. It's exactly. fantastic. Yeah, it, exactly. It's it's such a great tool, and um, and and you know, reminding students uh, where to send the breath to. A lot of um, people with PTSD, their breath never leaves their chest. It can never go beyond their chest, right? It's a shallow breath. And so um, instructing and reminding people that they can take deeper breaths and send that, you know, visually send it to the belly and watch it, visually watch it go to the belly and then come back up. And um, those, ex those types of exercises are very helpful. It's so, those are so powerful. I love, I love teaching in that format of really, I think, um, just cueing to specific body parts of breathe into your back, mm -hmm. breathe into your left shoulder, you know, and it sounds, if you're somebody that does, has never practiced yoga, well, I don't know why you would be listening to this podcast, but, um, <laughs> Maybe you want to learn about yoga, but anyways, it's, it sounds sort of like woo woo. Like, Oh, what do you mean? Sure. Breathe into my right. shoulder. Like right. that sounds crazy, but 
when you but don't forget that to ask them to breathe into their shoulder yes not exactly. tell them to invite them to <laughs> um, when you really get allow yourself to say okay i'm visualizing my shoulder and i'm visualizing my breath going into that region and then you feel that kind of inner spaciousness expanding into that space because you're physically using your breath to make more space over there it's it's such a it's such an incredible thing because really, I mean, ultimately when we think about it, yoga is a mechanism to self-regulate. Absolutely. 100%. If we can use these, something so, so simple, like Mm -hmm. the breath, I mean, that's the only thing we remember to do is just to breathe. Yeah. And that goes hand in hand with that interoception too. Like you were saying, you know, asking them to breathe in to their shoulder and what they're feeling, asking what they're feeling while they're doing that. And there's no wrong answer to that. Yeah. Wow. You guys, I love it. <laughs> you talk about this all day long. This is how long we've been recording, but I- I know, I have no idea. It feels like it just, I feel like it just blew by. Well, um, I hope it was some useful information. I think it, it was really incredible. Did. And I think that, you know, as um, as we as yoga teachers and practitioners take this information and consider applying it into our classes, I think it's also important to like well, let the walls come down a little bit and make it a little bit more broad and not to just say it doesn't have to just, we don't have to consider these things in yoga, but really when, as we show up in the world and as we um, interact with other people, how we really truly don't ever know what anybody else has experienced or is currently experiencing what it what somebody else is healing i think it's safe to say that we're all healing something that somebody might not know about oh absolutely we're we're all on our own journey whatever whatever that looks like yeah whatever that looks like um well if you guys who are listening if you have any questions for Anne marie she has been gracious enough to offer um to offer her time and her knowledge up. Um, she could answer questions about anything that we've talked about here. Um, if you're somebody that has a yoga space or you're a yoga student or, or sorry, a yoga teacher, and you'd want to maybe learn a little bit more, um, she can offer kind of group training sessions, that sort of thing. Um, and you can contact her. Her email is heartsightyoga at gmail.com. That's H-E-A-R-T S I ght yoga at gmail.com and we'll um link that email into the description yeah yeah um and then stay tuned or maybe not tuned because probably by the time we release this episode there's going to be a little blog post that goes along with it that you'll be able to read on dopeyogi.com that Anne has written um and maybe we'll incorporate some of these tips that she's talked about here and then just kind of a general overview of trauma and how it relates to yoga. So thank you guys, um, Jeremy and Anne-Marie. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So good. So, so good. Thank you guys. At another time and we'll talk about other stuff too, but um, sounds good. I'll come back anytime. This was so great. Thank you guys (laughs) for being here. Awesome. See you later. Thank you. Bye.